International Women's Day is a moment for solidarity and celebration, but it's inextricable from women's labor. Thousands of women are staging a one-day strike in what's been dubbed a day without a woman. Millions of Spanish women stayed off the job in the first ever women's strike in Spain. Police in Istanbul forcibly broke up a rally of hundreds of women as they marked International Women's Day. Women have been striking and protesting on March 8th for decades. The battle cry of the women's liberation movement rings out as more than 10,000 militant feminists stage a one-day strike for equal rights. This year, those strikes are still happening around the world. But that might be one of the only things that's the same. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the lives of millions, but it has not done so equally. As markets fall and businesses close, millions of women's jobs have disappeared. In one country after another, we're seeing huge numbers of women pushed out of the workforce. Meanwhile, the ones who still have jobs feel they're barely hanging on. Today, we're looking at the pandemic job divide, those who leave home and those who stay. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I want to start with an admission. I'm one of the ones who've stayed home, turning my closet into a podcast studio, living my life on Zoom. When you're working from home, sometimes it can feel like that's all there is. But the majority of working women still have to leave home every day. We heard from women all over the world, including a psychiatrist, a sex worker, and one of Al Jazeera's own journalists. We're sharing their stories about what a year of pandemic has been like for them. My name is Zainab Imam. I'm a medical doctor. I'm a perinatal psychiatrist. I work in the state of Qatar. We sent a call out to our listeners for their stories. And one of the first who responded was Dr. Imam. She shared her story with us from Qatar, but she's originally from Nigeria. She's faced both working from home and returning to the office and seen challenges with both. When we had to then return back to work and start meeting people face to face, we all had to wear masks. It can be quite difficult to see the expression on the patient's face because everything is covered. So there may be a situation where, you know, you would have met a patient several times and you will actually still not remember exactly what they look like because all the while they were with you, you are wearing masks. But she said the pandemic means she can't always support her patients when they do give birth, because in Qatar, specific hospitals are designated for COVID cases. That meant that sometimes the patients that you've been caring for all along, just prior to their delivery, they're usually tested for COVID. And if they were positive, then they would be sent to one of the COVID hospitals to have their baby. It could mean that they're now going into a hospital to work with doctors who don't really know them and might end up having their babies in isolation. Dr. Imam says for someone who is already struggling emotionally, that can all be quite difficult. And she said she sees how all the changes this year have impacted her own mental health as well. What compounds that for Dr. Imam is that her family isn't there to support her. Her husband and all but one of her children are living in the UK. 
I'm usually able to travel, you know, back and forth to the UK or have members of my family visiting. But since the lockdown, that's not been possible. Have not gone away at all for more than a year, which is um, so unlike me. And I miss home terribly. I miss my children. I miss being able to see them. And I can't really live here because I've got my youngest daughter with me who is attending school. And we're worried that if we leave, there may be a lockdown and we may be stuck outside and we may not be able to get back into the country. So that has really restricted our movement. Juggling work and family is a constant for women around the world. But the pandemic has thrown even more at them, from closed borders to health risks to homeschooling. Some women feel they have no choice but to leave their jobs to handle everything else. For others, their jobs are simply evaporating. A study by the global consulting firm McKinsey found that women's global job losses are almost twice as high as men's. More women work in the industries that the pandemic hit the hardest. And they're also more likely to work in informal employment. Things like domestic work, farm labor, or selling goods in a market. We're starting from a place where women are already behind, economically speaking, where their work is already devalued. That's Xanthi Scharf, who's been following these numbers all year. She's the co-founder of The Fuller Project, a nonprofit that reports on issues affecting women around the world. And so when we have a crisis, those individuals are going to be made much more vulnerable. Around the world, it is true that women are very often working in more insecure sectors. And because those women usually can't work from home, they also face more obstacles to get to their jobs. Freedom of movement isn't just getting from one country to another, like in Dr. Imam's case. It's also difficult just to get to work. There are so many challenges as far as mobility right now, including women who rely on public transportation. Curfews were implemented in places around the world and sometimes in a very strict fashion. We reported on women working in the informal labor markets in Kenya, for example. Those were women who were heavily constrained when mobility had to be limited by the government there. It can even be outright dangerous when working in a job that's in a legal gray area like sex work. We heard from one woman in Kenya who's faced that herself. My name is Felis Tawamboy Abdallah. I am the national coordinator of the Kenya Sex Workers Alliance. When COVID started, it was a bit complicated for us because the country decided to go on curfew from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m., which was very complicated for us because those were our operating times. Kenya's curfew began on March 27, 2020, and it still hasn't expired. Philister says that meant most sex workers couldn't work, and that meant they couldn't afford to stay in their homes. So you will see, for example, 10 sex workers living in one house so that we can be able to pay for that house. Many houses were full. Because we we are also many, we are not few. And if we had to go to work, we had to work during illegal times. During the day, which was a bit challenging, many of us were arrested and taken to quarantine. And because we were not working, then we were unable to pay for our quarantine fees. It means you had to pay for yourself. 
Philister also mentioned a problem that spiked globally during the pandemic, violence against women. Violence went really high because it meant if I had a client, I had to spend a night with that client. It was easy for sex workers to go to clients' houses because many of the hotspots were actually shut down. The violence really went up. We lost more than 10 sex workers who were murdered because of COVID. And this was because the perpetrators knew the police are not like operating within those hours simply because they know that people are on curfew. They're not supposed to come out. So even if we scream, nobody was actually coming out. Xanthi from The Fuller Project says that domestic violence has been a widespread side effect of curfews during the pandemic. The UN has called the increase in domestic violence globally the shadow pandemic. It says across the world, domestic violence helplines and shelters are reporting rising calls for help. One of our early reports was of frontline responders, and it was poignant and terrible to hear about how they had to adapt their advice for women calling into the hotlines. So rather than make plans for women to flee, they were having to work with women to figure out which room in the house would be safest to hide in, for example, not the kitchen. So finding rooms where there would be less uh, potential for fatal damage. Having to focus on the short-term threats makes it even harder to address deeper issues, like health care. For women living with conditions like HIV, Philister said it's been tough to get to the care they need. It was a bit difficult to access HIV services. We could not facilitate our own transport because it became very expensive. Because the number of the people who were using the public transport was reduced by the government. So they had to increase the fares. It was three times of what we used to pay. We want to come out and thank partners who came out and stood with us. We have many partners who came out and really supported sex workers to make sure that sex workers are also able to access their service. Yes. That was the sound of Philister's child interrupting her. And it's the sound of the greater story we're now most familiar with, the explosion of care work. Xanthi saw it coming just as the coronavirus was beginning to spread worldwide. Her first story, warning of the impact on women, was published March 12, 2020. That was before people in my office had even started working from home. It was so evident to me that this was going to be something that would fall disproportionately on women. And I knew that women would be the ones who would be most likely to be staying home in order to take care of kids. And that's backed up by the data very clearly. Before the pandemic, women worldwide were already estimated to do three times as much unpaid care work as men. The McKinsey study found that women do an average of 75% of the world's total unpaid care work, whether that's caring for children, the elderly, doing housework or cooking. Women are shouldering so much of the care work. And before we can even talk about what that does to people emotionally or in terms of mental health, we have to talk about what that means as far as people's day-to-day lives. As I mentioned, my day-to-day life has been working from home. But that's not the case for all of my colleagues at Al Jazeera. So I asked one of the women I know who's been out reporting in the field what that's been like for her. 
My name is Rania Zabane. I'm Al Jazeera English producer in the occupied West Bank. I've got three kids under 10 at home. My husband teaches at Berzet University online and my two older boys take classes online. I leave the rest to your imagination. It's extremely difficult to work from home, obviously, and it's as hard to be in the field. It's not only that we're working in tough conditions where, sadly, lots of people are reckless and careless about the virus. We also have our families to care for and protect. We're getting help from family, which is awesome, but also scary because grandma is old and getting care sick is everyone's nightmare. Rania says she spent a lot of time trying to report remotely, but producing stories from Palestine will always require feet on the ground. When somebody is killed, when a house is demolished, you have to be there. How else are you going to get those shots if you were not physically there? There's absolutely no way. The feeling, the sentiment, all that, you have to be there to get it. At the end of the day, you just plan the best way to do it. Take precautions, put on your mask, stay far, to realize pretty much everything and just hope for the best. There's a nice term, the piss optimist. I'm turning into one. A piss optimist is someone thankful for simply being alive. Someone who's glad that if something bad happens, the worst didn't. I fear the worst, but I'm thankful it didn't happen yet. Light at the end of the tunnel seems far off. I think this is the new normal, at least for a while. With most women just trying to make it through this new normal, days like International Women's Day invite all kinds of reflection. This is a day aimed at celebrating the achievements and accomplishments of women. So I asked Xanthi of the Fuller Project if that's how she sees it this year. The pandemic has put many of the issues that women face in a new light, but do you think it will be transformative in solving any of these problems? Or will it be a struggle just to get women back to where we were on March 8th, 2020? I think there is going to be a struggle to get women back where they are. And some research is showing that it'll be until 2024 for women to return to their status in the United States. I think globally speaking, it may be much longer. On the bright side, however, there is a huge amount of attention going to the fact that we live in a very inequitable world. And because everyone is personally affected by this crisis, no matter who you are or how much money you have or what bubble you live in, you are suffering. And that suffering is helping people to connect to others. And that's The Take. For more of Al Jazeera's International Women's Day coverage, check out aljazeera.com. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Nikine Oliai, Priyanka Tilve, Dina Kispe, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Steve Lack mixed this episode. Natalia Eldana is the engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is the executive producer of The Take. Special thanks to Laura Ann Bagneto, Marian Grace Tixone, Michelle Jackson, Mohamed Jamjum, and Mara Monti. We'll be back on Wednesday.